Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are learning the fifth section of Parashat Korach. The final chapter of our parasha, chapter 18, will deal extensively with the various laws that govern the Kohanim and the Levim, rights and obligations, or more precisely, what they are entitled to as a result of the price that they pay for their roles. We'll begin with verse 1. Vayomer Adonai el Aharon. So Hashem said to Aharon, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood, priesthood with the kehuna. Noting the apparent repetitive nature of this verse, Rashi notes the difference between the two halves of the verse. In the first half, three players are mentioned, Aharon, his sons, and his father's family. While in the second half, only Aharon and his sons are mentioned. Therefore, the first half of the verse is referring to the responsibility that the Kohanim, together with Aharon's family, the family of Kehat, have over the Mikdash, the Mishkan, and its vessels. This we learned already at the end of Parshat Bamidbar. They have a responsibility to keep away the foreigners and impure people. While the second half of the verse refers to the responsibility of the Kohanim alone, without the, the Leviim from the family of Kehat. The actual service in the Mishkan that the Leviim do not partake in, and they, like the rest of the nation, must be kept away from it. But the Torah and Rashi set the tone at the outset. The kihuna is not a picnic. You shall bear the guilt. It is a responsibility. I place the responsibility of the foreigners sinning on you. So while the nation in the final verses of chapter 17 fears death by coming to the Mishkan, in an inappropriate manner, the responsibility for the execution of keeping them away is placed on Aaron and his sons and on the family of Kehat. The Sforno adds that the responsibility or blame will be placed in incidents in which the foreigners or impure people could have been kept out with the right effort. Verse 2. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. The circle of responsibility now expands. According to Rashi, what seems to be the simple reading of the, of the verse, I already included some of the Leviim, in the form of the family of Kehat, Beit Avicha, that we read in verse 1, and now verse 2 expands it to the entire tribe of Shevet Levi, Shevet Avicha. Once again, let us note the Torah connecting Aharon to his family and to his tribe, which pulls us in the direction of the Kohanim being an organic part of the tribe and not an incidental choice, as we discussed in the previous section. Rashi points to two verbs in this verse, vi'lavu alecha and vi'sharatucha, accompanying you and serving you. 
Accompanying refers to assisting in the mission from the previous verse, to keep away the wrong people from the Mishkan. And serving refers to guard duty and other jobs around the Mishkan. It should be understood that the guard duty of the Leviim is not a functional one, necessarily, one to keep out foreigners or impure, impure people, because that's a responsibility that they actually shared with the Kohanim. There's an additional guard duty, which is an honorary guard that is demanded by the Mishkan per se. As the Rambam states in the 8th chapter of Hilchot Beit HaBechira, the laws that pertain to the Beit HaMikdash, Shmirat HaMikdash mitzvat asei, guarding the Mikdash is a positive commandment. And even there, even though there is no fear of enemies or bandits or thieves, guarding it is a matter of honor for it. And this guard duty is commanded the entire night. The night the Beit HaMikdash is closed. No one is coming to serve in the Beit HaMikdash. No foreigners are coming to do things that they're prohibited to do because the Beit HaMikdash is closed. It's locked. This guard duty then is a guard duty, an honor guard, as the Ramam states. In that vein, the end of the verse completes this halacha. refers to the Leviim doing guard duty on the outside of the Mishkan, while the Kohanim did so on the inside. Other commentators mention other jobs. Chizkuni mentions the singing of the Leviim, as we are familiar with from the daily psalm, Hashir Shalviim Omrim Bevet HaMikdash, that we read every day. Rashi mentions other functions in the Mishkan. Some have to do with more administrative, administrative work. And we re, re, return to verse 3. V'shameru mishmartecha u'mishmeret kol ha'ohel, and they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. Verse 3 is a throwback to the end of Parshat Bemidbar, in which we learned that even though Kehat's family were responsible to transfer the vessels of the Mishkan, they were not allowed to see them or touch them until the Kohanim covered each vessel with its respective cover. There too, the death penalty weighed heavily over the family of Kehat, and precautionary steps had to be taken in order to ensure that they would not die in their work. Let us note once again, the ultimate responsibility that the Levim do not touch the vessels is on the Kohanim's shoulders. The precautionary measures are taken to ensure that neither the Kohanim nor the Leviim from Kehat die. Verse 4. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider may not come near you. Verse 4 is stating the halacha that we intuitively already know. We've already learned the punishment, the foreigner that approaches will die. Three times we've seen this at the beginning of Bemidbar, and we will see it once more in our chapter in verse 7. But in here in verse 4, the Torah actually states and formulates the prohibition. Verse 5. Ushmartem et mishmeret 
ואת משמרת המזבח, ולא יהיה עוד קצף על בני ישראל. So you shall attend the, to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, so there will, be no, so there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. The altar has been mentioned separately, both in verse 3 and here in our verse 5, and this deserves special mention, because on the one hand, it is not located in the actual Mishkan, but outside, but on the other hand, it is the center of the service in the Mishkan, where the sacrifices are offered. And in that sense, it needs to be stressed as far as keeping foreigners away. The word ketef, translated as wrath, makes a clear reference to the incident in the previous chapter in which 14,700 people were killed, as noted by various commentators. The verse says, Ki Hashem hanagef. When I saw this reference and this intertextuality, I went back to look at those verses about B'nai Israel coming to complain to see if it is possible that they were punished not for complaining and saying Atem HaMitemet Am Hashem, but for actually infringing the boundaries of the Mishkan. Ultimately, I didn't find any basis for that. In any case, the goal of the duties of the Kohanim and the Levim, as stated and restated in these verses, is to avoid the deaths of the members of the nation by making sure the limitations and boundaries are clear. Verse 6. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to Hashem, to perform the service for the tent of the meeting. The order of responsibility in this pasuk is clear. The Kohanim take the highest level of responsibility for what goes on in the Mishkan. And therefore the Levim are there to do their bidding with regard to the Mishkan. Not to be their personal slaves, to cook them, cook for them a meal or to fix their clothing. Whatever work needs to be done with regard to the Mishkan, the Levim are under the orders of the Kohanim. As the Torah has already stated in Parashat Naso, Al pi Aharon kol avodat shuni. Biyadi tamar ben Aharon kohen. All the time the Torah is referencing that the jobs of the Levim is ultimately under the auspices of the Kohanim. The giving of the Levim to the Kohanim as some sort of gift some sort of service, I've taken the Levites and they are a gift to you, seems to imply, once again, that the Kohanim existed as a unit, as chosen, before the Levi'im's role was clearly formulated. Verse 7. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Anything that has to do with keeping away foreigners, not from the actual Mishkan, and where they should not be, but from the actual service in the Mishkan, is the Kohanim's responsibility alone. The Sephorno references the Kohanim's role in banishing King Uziyahu, 
from the Beit HaMikdash when he went in to offer incense despite the fact that he was not a Kohen but from Shevet Yehuda. This is described in detail in the Ivrei HaYamin. To recap, verses 1 to 7, the Kohanim and Levim share a role and responsibility to save and prevent foreigners from infringing on the boundaries and duties in the Mishkan. This responsibility, a serious one, has life and death ramifications not only for the potential transgressor, but also for the Kohanim and Levim who fail to do their duty responsibly. After describing the weighty responsibilities of the Kohanim and Levim, we now move on to see the gifts that they are entitled to. However, we will state that the gifts are not in return or to compensate for this responsibility. We will see and discuss what entitles them, entitles them to these benefits. Verses 8 to 20 describe the gifts that the Kohanim are entitled to, and verses 21 to 32 describe the gifts that the Levim are entitled to, with a very big difference between the gifts the Kohanim receive and the gifts that the Levim receive that we will need to understand. And now we begin with verse 8. Vaidaber Adonai el Aharon. Vani hinena tati lechad mishmeret teru motai. Lechol kochei vene Israel lechane tatim le moshcha. Ulevanecha lechok olam. Then Hashem spoke to Aharon. Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. The term le moshcha for anointing, in this verse demands some attention. The word typically means to be anointed with. Usually we would discuss the Kohanim being anointed by the anointment oil, Shemen Hamishcha. Here we are discussing the Kohanim being anointed by the gifts they receive. The Rashbam explains that these gifts are signs of honor, similarly to the anointment of kings. How so? Let's return to the beginning of the verse. What the Kohanim are to get are God's portions, Tirumotai. God is given a portion of various items from the nation, as we will see. And He gives them to the Kohanim. Thus, this is their sign of honor that they receive these gifts that belong to God. Verse 9. Kodesh Kodashim Lcha Hu Ulevanecha. Be Kodesh Hakodashim Tochelenu, Kozachar Yochalato, Yochal Oto, Kodesh Yielach. These verses describe the portions that the Kohanim receive from offerings that are brought to the fires of the altar and that are called Kodesh Hakodashim. One can get a clear picture of this category in the Mishnayot at the beginning of the chapter. Ezehu mekoman shelzvachim, that are said by many on a daily basis in the korbanot section of tefillah. These korbanot include mincha, the grain offering, chatat, the sin offering, and asham, the guilt offering. In these offerings, a certain portion is burned on the altar, and the rest is given to the kohanim to eat with the following two limitations. Number one, it says about this group, hu ulevanecha. As opposed to verse 11, which refers to other gifts of the Kohanim, which says, L'cha u'levanecha ve'livnotecha, including also your daughters. And as reiterated in verse 10, kol zachar yochaloto. Only the males will eat these gifts. In other words, there are gifts that the Kohanim receive that they share to eat with their families, as in verse 11 and 19. But the gifts described here 
in verses 9 and 10, are eaten only by male kohanim, which means their entitlement to it is only because they serve God as kohanim. They may be, the second limitation is that they may be eaten only in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. In the language of the Mishnah, in the Mishnah of Ezehu Mekoman, this is referred to Lifnimin Haklaim. And this would mean that these gifts may only be eaten in the courtyard of the Mishkan or the Azara of the Beit HaMikdash. Other less sanctified offerings may be eaten beyond this limitation. An additional limitation not mentioned here explicitly is regarding the purity of the Kohanim and the food to be eaten. Both have to be pure in order for the Kohen to partake in it. But this limitation is mentioned in subsequent verses. Verse 11. This also is yours, the offering of their gift, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. I've given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual, perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Verse 11 describes a new category of the gifts that the Kohanim receive. In this category, the sons and daughters of the Kohanim are to partake in these gifts. The Sforno says these verses refer to what is known in the Mishnah as Kodashim Kalim, a lower level of sanctity. This includes gifts that the Kohanim receive as part of a less sanctified offering and gifts that have nothing to do with the Mishkan at all. Daughters of Kohanim refers primarily to unmarried daughters of Kohanim. Once they marry a non-Kohen, they, lo- they lose their entitlement to partake in these gifts. If these daughters of Kohanim are divorced or widowed without children, then they may return once again to eat these gifts as they are still connected to their father and they are still the, the daughter. If, however, this daughter of a Kohen who married a non-Kohen had children from the marriage, then the children permanently attach to them their new non-Kohen families. And that, and therefore the daughter of the Kohen will never return to her family then to eat of these Kohani gifts. Wives of Kohanim, who are not daughters of Kohanim, are also entitled to eat in this category of gifts, but not under the category of daughters, but a separate category of, be, a category of being a wife of a Kohen. Here the Torah explicitly states that one must be pure to eat this gift, if we define these gifts as portions of God given to the Kohanim, it demands limitation on who may eat it, at the time where it may be eaten, and in a state of purity. And all the best of the fresh oil, and all the best of fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits, fruits of those which they give to Hashem, I give them to you. This verse refer, refers to the mitzvah of truma, or terumah gedola, taking the best of the crop and giving to God, and by proxy to the kohanim. According to Torah law, there is no minimal amount that must be given to the kohen as long as an amount is set aside. The sages set an amount ranging between 1 60th to 1 40th for truma. Today, that the Kohanim are in a permanent state of impurity and cannot eat the truma, we revert back to the Torah law and give a very small amount so as not to waste food. When people grow their own fruits and vegetables in Eretz Yisrael, we separate truma and place it aside. It cannot be eaten by a Kohen because he is impure, 
nor can it be discarded into the garbage because it's something holy. It has to be discarded in a respectable manner. With one, when one purchases fruit and vegetables in Eretz Yisrael, one must know that Truma has been set aside, or if not, fulfill the mitzvah on their own. According to our verse, it would appear that the obligation of Truma on a Torah level is only in three items, olive oil, wine, and grain. There are disagreements in halacha with regard to this topic, if other species also have a Torah obligation to take truma. This mitzvah has no relationship to the mishkdash or mishkan. In whatever location one might be, one would give this gift to the Kohen, and the Kohen may eat it in any location outside of Yerushalayim, as opposed to the various sacrifices that are limited to Yerushalayim. Inserting to note the need to separate the oil from the other two, kol chelev yitzar v'chol chelev tirosh v'dagan. Why not just kol chelev yitzar tirosh v'dagan? Some sort of separation between the oil and the other two products. Also interesting to note that in the six appearances of this threesome, in Sefer Dvarim, yitzar and tirosh and dagan, in Sefer Dvarim, the order always is Dagan, Tirosh, Vitar. Grain, wine, and olive oil. The opposite of the order in our verse. Verse 13. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to Hashem, shall be yours. Everyone in your household who is clean may eat it. This verse refers to the mitzvah of Bikurim, taking the first fruit to ripen in the field and giving it to the Kohen. This mitzvah, according to the sages, is limited to the first fruits of the seven fruits that Eretz Yisrael is blessed with, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. This mitzvah is performed in the Beit HaMikdash and is accompanied with saying well-known texts from the beginning of Parshat Kitavo that is also the backbone of the text of the Haggadah Shal Pesach. The recent holiday of Shavuot, called in the Torah Chag Bikurim, does mark the beginning of the Bikurim season. From that point on, Bikurim are accepted. However, until the very recent agricultural de- developments, which allows us to have fruits in unexpected times of the year, the majority of fruits at the time of Shavuot were not ready to be brought to Yerushalayim, only more towards the middle and end of the summer months. However, Shavuot is the beginning of this time, and specifically with regard to wheat, and therefore the name Chagabi Kurim stuck. Verse 14. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. What does Cherem refer to? We translated the word as devoted. One can take any object that is not otherwise holy and devote it. In the end of Sefer Vayikra, chapter 27, verse 28, the Torah states, Here the Torah tells us that the Cherem goes to the Kohen. Intuitively, one might have explained the Cherem belongs to God, just like the Kohanim received Truma and other gifts that belong to God. However, the sages understood that there are two types of cherem. The cherem in Vayikra was explicitly defined as belonging to God only, to be used then in the Beit HaMikdash, and the cherem here refers to a broader, less specific cherem which God awards to the Kohanim. 
In this section, we, dis- we began delving into the laws of the Kohanim and Levim on the backdrop of the tensions in Parshat Korach. We learned of, the strict, of their strict responsibilities to keep foreigners away under severe punishment for the infiltrators and for the Kohanim and Levim if they failed to do their responsibility. We began learning about the gifts of the Kohanim. First, Kochei Kodashim, Mincha, Chatat, Asham. The more sanctified gifts from actual offerings on the altar that have more limitations on who and where they can be eaten. And then we began Kodashim Kalim, the less sanctified gifts that have fewer limitations as to who and where they can they can eat. But categories are gifts from God that must be eaten in ritual purity. In the final section, we will conclude the list of gifts that the Kohanim receive and conclude the parasha with the gifts that the Levi'im receive.